Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell, Philip Matthew, and Spencer Cowan here tonight. And we are previewing the 2021 season. We're talking about a lot of the silly season news that's come out this week and getting ready. Guys, we have cars on a racetrack in five days with a Bush Clash uh, at Daytona on Tuesday night. We're going to watch that. It's a road course race. And speaking of the Bush Clash, guys, let's get right to part of the silly season news that was really interesting. Uh, the first thing we saw really about a guy getting a new ride is Ty Dillon. This has been rumored for a while. Ty Dillon could be driving number 23. Uh, 2311 racing Toyota, the Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan team at the Bush Clash at Daytona on Tuesday night. So if you're not familiar with it, Bubba Wallace is not eligible because of the rules, the way they do it with, with stage winners, uh, past Clash winners, and all the other nonsense they have that put them in there. Somehow Bubba Wallace doesn't qualify for the Bush Clash. So uh, 2311, his race team, was kind of looking at a way to get in. And now they've got Ty Dillon, who did qualify for the Bush Clash, but his team really wasn't doesn't have a charter, so they're not forced to run the Clash. Um, so they're going to put Ty Dillon in that car. So Ty, who qualified for the Clash, is in the 2311 car. Very curious to see what you guys' thoughts on, but this isn't something new for the Bush Clash. We've seen it a few times before. If you remember a bunch of years ago, Ken Schrader drove for the Red, Red Bull Racing Team, number 82, uh, a, a bunch of years ago when Red, when Scott Speed drove that car, Schrader was at eligible. They gave him that car. He ran it. Bill Elliott drove a number, the number 40 Coors Light car, although it was switched to 39 and Coors in 05 uh, because he was eligible and Sterling Marlin wasn't. And, you know, John Andretti a few years ago, even back in 98 it was, I went and checked uh, when he drove the Budweiser car. A lot of people forget he drove the Budweiser car for Rick Hendrick that year in the, in the Bud shootout that year. Um, because of, of really a, a sponsorship deal with, with Budweiser and Richard Petty not putting Budweiser on his car, the Bud Pole, because he didn't believe in that kind of stuff. So it was all kind of – Andretti qualified for the race, but they really didn't have a ride. And Budweiser, who sponsored the race, didn't really have a driver, so they put Andretti in the car. But So I guess my, my long point is this isn't something so totally unusual we've never seen before, but it's still something very interesting to watch uh, Ty Dillon in the, in the 2311 car. Philip, I'll go to you, then we'll go to Spencer. What were your thoughts when you saw that um, Ty Dillon was going to be driving the 2311 Toyota uh, at the Bush Clash? Yeah, as you said, Clayton, they've been talking about it for a while. Uh, of course, with the, the the point you made about, you know, if you have a charter, you basically have to run it. Uh, so they are they have the 13 charter. So in a lot of ways, it's not really that big of a change in that sense because Ty has been the 13 car for all these years. But, of course – you also add the notion he's moved over to Toyota. He's trying to make the show on Wednesday night in qualifying uh, in the 96 car or on Thursday night uh, in the duels. Um, he's also going to drive a few races in the star car 54 at the, at Gibbs in the Xfinity series. Uh, so it isn't that big of a reach with all the, cockamamie schemes they came and rules they came up with for the clash he was eligible of course bubble wasn't as you said um they need the 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 notes because they're going to be racing there in a couple weeks anyway um and they're a brand new team so it doesn't hurt to get whatever however many laps is 70 laps 50 laps whatever laps that they're going to have uh, Tuesday night, even if it is in the wet, which uh, last time I saw the weather, there uh, looked like there was going to be some rain. So that would be cool. Uh, but I think it's good for Ty to be in a in a in a in, in a good car because, uh, to, to be fair, the the Germain uh, team was not very good. Uh, so for him to be in a good car. Mike Wheeler, that whole team getting a little warm-up before they have to get really ready for what matters, which is our full-season deal with Baba, get some reps with the pit crew. Um, it's all I think it's all positives here uh, in general. I think Ty also, um, is it gives him an opportunity to get out there and probably help himself and help Gone Brothers try to get a few bucks uh, to try to make more than the first couple of races of the season. 
Yeah, listen, I, I think you touched on the most important part is that the 2311 team is a new race team. Mike Wheeler obviously hasn't been on a box in a year, so he could get you know a little bit of adjusting the pick crew you mentioned. But the most important part is they're going to need notes. And, uh, you know, the fact that they're going to run there in a couple of weeks, sure, they, they have a close association with Joe Gibbs Racing, but you want your own notes to build off of. And it's not exactly the same because Ty Dillon's not Bubba Wallace, it's still going to be pretty close. And, you know, I think that's the most important thing for the 2311 side of things is that they're going to have notes to fall back on. But, you know, Spencer, I want to get your take on this. Root Insurance, number 23, Toyota. What do you expect from Ty Dillon? I mean, Philip talked about it a little bit. He touched on it where this could be an opportunity. This is an opportunity for Ty Dillon where maybe he sits there and says, you know what? Yeah, it's a road course race. He, that's not really his forte. But if he goes out there and finishes second or third and really puts on a good showing, it could get – open some eyes towards him. And this is a guy who hasn't really opened some eyes in recent years. A 13 car was eh, you know, and so um, moving to a, a, a brand new situation as far as Toyota is concerned and moving to a, a new, basically a whole new situation outside of, of the Richard Childress racing uh, shadow that he's been in the last uh, decade or so in NASCAR. What are your thoughts on Ty Dillon driving this 2311 car at the Bush clash? Yeah, I mean, it was rumored for, I don't know, what, a month that it was a possible um, go with Ty. And, you know, Phillips said the most important thing, and you touched on it, is the team will have notes. Um, but also, if they didn't have notes, you know, I'm sure Joe Gibbs, um, you know, would share, since they're an alliance, they would get some kind of notes on the racetrack with, you know, Hamlin being in it and um, Bush being in it. They would get notes for the second race of the season, which is the Daytona road course now. So, you know, you mentioned too, it's not Bubba Wallace, but they'll know how their car runs. Um, you know, you just, you learn all this, you learn all this stuff that, you know, you learn the breaking points of the car. So Ty can go back and talk to Bubba and be like, Hey, it handles better when you break here. Don't try to break it um, too hard. So there's all kinds of things that um, Ty can relate to Bubba. So Bubba's not, um, you know, empty-minded going into it. And the only thing I disagree on, and I know it's based off driver, not car, um, it's a little, I think it's, I, you know, I don't see um, why that team should be allowed to run it with them not even being around last year. But, you know, we've seen this, you know, I was talking and was in comments with somebody on Facebook. He agreed with me that, you know, it's fine, like, for instance, when Chris Buescher was eligible for the Clash, when he won at Pocono, his next year was with JTG. Well, they were able to run the Clash in the 37 car. That's fine because that team was around. But this team wasn't even around last year, friend. For them to go run that Clash and get that step on, to get that um, advantage over guys that have been around, teams that have been around for years and just aren't able to run the Clash, that's not really fair to me. Um this team, like I said, they weren't around last year, so they didn't achieve the goals to go run this clash. Uh, you know, you take Joey Logano, for instance. He was with the 22 car last year. That team and Logano did everything they needed to to get to the clash. And, you know, this just kind of, you know, takes somebody that didn't make the clash, for instance. Um, yeah. Their team and that driver can't get a step up on the field like the guys are. So having that team... Um, get that extra advantage is a little it's, I don't think it's fair but it is what it is that's why it goes off driver I guess so um, yeah. but it would be fine if Ty was going with a team that was there last year you know what I'm saying so um, yeah. yep. but hey that's what NASCAR allows so I mean they get to go clash running and they get notes so that's the main thing yeah I wouldn't 100% agree with that uh, and here's why because I think you know how most of these people uh, qualify for the clash isn't necessarily something they've done with the team they're on. Um, you know, Ryan Newman, for example, you know, I don't know if he, if he's eligible because uh, of his polls or what, it, what he got, in, he didn't make the playoffs last year. So somehow he's uh, in the clash. He's in the clash probably because of something he did when he was able to Stuart Haas or team Penske or, you know, and the list goes on and on and on. And uh, so I don't have a big problem. I actually kind of like the, the uh, idea where we can throw a little driver into a team that 
we don't we don't normally see. You know, I mentioned uh, Kenny Schrader did it with Red Bull a few years a bunch of years ago, and Bill Elliott did it with Chip Ganassi a, a bunch of years ago. Um, it, it sort of adds a little bit of intrigue to this race. Um, I, you know, the other teams out there could hire a driver that was eligible if they paid him enough money or or they had a right situation. And and right now the situation just fell perfectly for twenty three eleven. So. I don't have a big problem with it, and and I know that you know we're talking about opinions here, so my opinion is different than yours, and that's fine. But personally, I just don't have a big problem with it. Uh, I think they they um, certainly the only thing I didn't really care for was there was a few team members that were kind of complaining about them not being locked into the race, uh, and you know I don't like breaking rules. I, I'm a big rule follower, no matter where it comes, no matter what it's in in this sport, and as long as they're doing it within the rules and which is clearly what they're doing with Ty Dillon, I'm okay with it. So, um, you know, if they created a new rule to get somebody else in, like we've seen in the past, I would have been annoyed by that. So um, that's just my thoughts on it. But a couple of other interesting news bits that would come out over the last week. And something I really want to talk about is what was announced today, Thor sport racing, the uh, NASCAR Kipping World truck series organization, a big time organization the last few years, um, They've been in this sport since 96. I mean, forever. they've been in the sport forever. But they announced a driver lineup here for 2021. And the, one of the things that, that they've officially confirmed that was reported on and had been speculated for a while is they are switching from to, from Ford to Toyota. So that is one change they're going to do. They they kind of switch manufacturers every every three or so years. They were with Ford the last three years. They were with Toyota before that. Before that, they were with Chevrolet. Now they're back with Toyota for 2021, and I'll give the driver rundown real quick. Not a ton of changes uh, as far as the drivers are concerned. There's a few crew chief changes, and there's one big change in the driver, and we'll discuss that in a little bit. But um, Johnny Sauter's going to be back in the number 13 Toyota. Uh, Joe Shear Jr. is the crew chief there. Uh, Matt Crafton, who was the 2019 Camping World Truck Series champion, he'll be back um, in the number 88 truck with Carl Jr. Joyner as his crew chief. Uh, and here's a change for – uh, the Thor Sport truck, uh, Grant Enfinger and Christian Eckes are going to share the number 98 truck. Uh, Enfinger running 12, Eckes running 10 races. Uh, Gerard Prince is the crew chief there. And then Ben Rhodes is going to drive the number 99 truck like he did last year, but a new crew chief in Rich Luscious there for uh, Thor Sport Racing. So I'll start with Spencer, then we'll go to Phillip. Uh, what were your thoughts? You know, c- kind of surprising. We, I had heard some rumors that Eckes was going to be in the mix at Thor Sport because he's a Toyota guy. They didn't really have a seat for him at Cobbush Motorsports, and they kind of wanted to keep him in the fold there a little bit. But I had heard maybe Sauter was going to be the odd man out. That is not the case. Uh, Eckes is going to run 10 races, and Gren Enfinger is the guy who pays the price, who won four races last year in a truck series. Had arguably, not arguably, probably his best season of his career, made the final four last year, and now he is uh, outside running a part-time schedule here for Thor Sport Racing in 2021. What are your thoughts on, on the news that, uh, Eckes is going to share that ride with Grant Enfinger Spencer. Yeah, I think that's a little dirty. Um, you know, for Enfinger. I mean, like you just mentioned, I mean, he was first off, he was a 2019 regular series um, champion. And he didn't win that year, but he was so damn consistent. I mean, he was always right there. It felt like in the mix, um, they just weren't able to get right on top of the table and, um, you know, you know, get some wins. And then he comes out this year and makes the final four. So gives Thor Sport a shot to win a championship. And that's your goal is from when the haulers head down to Daytona um, from, you know, North Carolina for them. I think it's uh, New Jersey. It could be wrong for where that team is. Um, so, yeah. I mean, Sandusky, I Ohio, they're from. Okay. So they're not in North Carolina, but still that's their goal. When they come from Ohio to Daytona is to win a championship. And Grand Enfinger gave him that opportunity at Phoenix. He was the final four, won four races. He had eight top fives and 13 top tens. I think that's a great season. I mean, that is a phenomenal season. I think any trucker, um, if you said, Hey, you're going to get four wins and make the final four, they're going to be like, okay, perfect. That's awesome. Um, but if you look at it, that 98 truck always has champions on it. Um, I forget what kind of company that is. Um, so maybe Power it's equipment. a sponsor reason. Um, yes, it's, maybe it's a sponsor reason. Maybe Eckes is going to bring over some more sponsor money, and it's an opportunity that Thor Sport could not give up. He would do that too. I mean, you see, Menards is with Kraft, and so it's a it's a hard situation. There's some there's got to be a reason why they did that. 
I mean, if you ask me, I think uh, Grant Infinger was their top guy. Yeah, Matt Crafter won a championship, but he didn't run well that year. He won the championship. He was just there at the right time and won a championship. Um, Johnny Sauter hasn't been lights out. You know, so I think Grant Infinger was their guy. That was their guy to go out and chase championships and win races. And for them to do that, um, it's just kind of a little dirty to me, but there's got to be a reason. Yeah, I think Toyota had a lot to do with it personally. Uh, when you think about Ekus last year in a Toyota, this year Thor Sport goes to Toyota, and all of a sudden, you know, they announced around November, right around the end of the year, that they were going to bring all four drivers back, and then all of a sudden it changed uh, as soon as they, I guess, decided to change manufacturers. For whatever reason, they did that. But, you know, Philip, what drives me crazy about this sport, and I know, and it happens, I mean, we could go through all night about the examples that this happens and stuff like that. And it's just unfortunately part of racing where you see talented race car drivers get replaced for different reasons. And, and Spencer's probably right. It probably had a little bit more to do with sponsorship than I, than I originally thought. But that's my thing is, is this is such a cruel sport sometimes. And, you know, I like Christian Eckes a lot. I understand going younger. If you want to go younger, I, you know, Enfinger's not a young guy. He's uh you know, older than, than, than I am. He's only, he's 36 years old, but still he's, you know, a, a very, very good race car driver. I can understand if you want to go a little bit younger here. Um, but it's it just mind boggling me to me that you have a guy who has, has been as successful and as talented as Grant Enfinger has been four wins last year. And he gets re- basically replaced uh, as far as a full-time driver is concerned. You know, he doesn't, yeah, it's just he's not rewarded for his great year. It it really uh it really stings me a lot. What were your thoughts, Philip, when you heard that about um Enfinger getting reduced to a part time role next year? Yeah, I mean it's a shame, honestly. It's kind of been the story of his career. He won it took him years to finally get a shot in Arca. He wins the Arca championship and then got relegated to being the crew chief for Brett Holmes or whatever the one year and then it took him a while to get in trucks and he ran part-time in trucks. And then he got this opportunity in 98 and he wins a regular season title. Spencer said a couple of years ago, then this past year, he won four races. He was in play uh, to go and get that championship uh, at Phoenix. Uh, Really? I mean, uh, Brett Moffitt and his stupidity was, was going to probably win it. And then that caution came out with the cram and, but I, but Enfinger was there and he's always kind of, he's a, he's a great, you know, he's, he's a story. He's one of those guys that you just want to root for uh, hard nose uh, grassroots, guy loves running them late models and all that and now being relegated to basically running for an owner's championship is kind of just weak uh i mean toyota we 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 could get into the whole toyota thing and how they're doing how they do business um and how they deal with things i also would venture to say the fact that you keep johnny Sauter. uh and and Ben Rhodes, who both at to be completely fair, have not really done much the last few years. I mean, Johnny Sauter's highlight the last couple of years was trying to go and run over what's his name in the sixteen at Iowa, um, and then raging on the radio every single week because he's just angry about life and whatever other issues he's probably having with himself. And then Ben Rhodes is has been a general. Uh, mediocrity who brings money of some sort um, for many years, and that the, that's kind of why he's still there. And, and his aim, I think, is eventually to drive for Spire, or drive for freaking Rick Ware. Uh, I don't know what 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 the end game is to just drive around in a truck series and win one race every couple of years. I mean, that's this is pretty mediocre uh, situation. Uh, wasting a ride there, really. Um, and Crafton's crafting has been there for like a hundred years. He's never gonna; they're never gonna fire him. Of course, uh, Menard's never gonna leave him. Uh, so he's gonna be there as long as he wants, doing whatever he wants. Um, he'll be like eighty-five years old. He'll still be driving that truck. But for Grant Enfinger, 
uh, it's kind of a, a, a bad situation. Uh, but when you consider how Toyota is, consider how motorsports is, all these different deals, it's a sad commentary, but it's kind of what has happened for a while. Uh, hopefully he'll be, out, be able to go and win some races, and so will Christian Eckes, too. He's another guy that kind of got a raw deal with Kyle Busch, so um, I guess both now they're both kind of getting screwed in a sense. Yeah, and I, that was the one thing I didn't want to do here is, is put place the blame on Christian Eckes for this because I do think he is a good race car driver, and I do think he deserves an opportunity for sure, but you know, the fact that it came at the expense of Grant Enfinger bothered me a lot. Uh, just because Enfinger had such a good year last year, and he's such a talented race car driver. And I would agree, Johnny Sauter had a terrible year last year. There's no, there is no way to slice it any other way. It was a terrible, terrible season. Now, you could chalk it up and say there were a lot of different factors. He didn't have a lot of luck behind him, and he didn't. But he had a terrible year last year. So if he was replaced, you could kind of sit there and say, well, they had a terrible year. You could understand it a little bit better. But I think Thor Sport in the end believes in Johnny Sauter. I think they, they did a lot of work to bring him over there last year again. Uh, remember, he was at GMS for a while, and he kind of got pushed out for Brett Moffitt. Um, but, you know, maybe that's why they're thinking about keeping Enfinger around because they could have really put him out uh, and put Eckes in this truck full time if they really wanted to. I'm not sure if Champion of Power Equipment would have been thrilled with that, but they could have if they wanted to. Um, so maybe they're they're kind of evaluating everything and saying, hey, if, if Eckes runs good in his 10 and uh, Enfinger runs good in his 12, you know, we can have the best of both worlds here and, and make a fifth truck if we have to or find another avenue for him. So it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. But, you know, I have heard some things, um, nothing concrete at all, that maybe Enfinger is going to look and try and, and piece together. I think he even mentioned that he might try and piece together uh, some rides throughout the year, maybe keep his eligibility up for the championship. We'll see if that materializes uh, and if Toyota lets him do that. So we'll see. But um, yeah, kind of surprising to see that Enfinger was the guy that kind of got the raw deal here um, from, from Thor Sport Racing. 917-889-8280, that's the number to call here. A couple of, of interesting little things that came from the NASCAR media tour. There's been a lot of um, you know conversations, a lot of, of press conferences here over the last uh, – over the last couple of days as they get ready for the Daytona 500, of course. But one of the things that caught my eye today, and, and I just kind of want to get your guys' opinion on it. And I, first of all, let me, let me comment on it. It's Joey Gase. Uh, Joey Gase came out today and basically called that the drivers who complain about lap cars and the slower cars, quote unquote, crybabies. Uh, and he thinks a lot of people would agree with that. And he says, you know, the one, one of the most important things I think that he said was uh, a lot of the guys who are currently front runners don't understand what it's like to be running in this equipment that he runs in. And I, that's a home run by jo- Joey Gase. He's absolutely right about that between development deals and people bringing money in certain situations. Um, these guys don't run, you know, in, in bad equipment. But he's like, I respect Brad Kozlowski because Kozlowski worked his way up from the bottom. And if you remember, Kozlowski was in some really tough truck teams there for a while before he got his opportunity and really won a lot of races. Um, but, what I liked about Gase, a couple of things, is is he was very honest today. And we don't see that from Joey Gase much. He's kind of a, a reserved guy. He's a small, he's a smaller guy. He always seems to come off quiet. And I really like the feistiness he gave today. And, and I know, you know, and I, I hope this doesn't come off disrespectful, but, you know, there's only so much he can do at Rick Ware Racing. I understand that completely. But the fact that, you know, he's got some passion behind it and that he showed some feistiness today, it was refreshing to me because – Part of what makes, to me, the media tour so just, I mean, 90% of it I could care less about. It's just because you know guys and, and, and sponsors and, and drivers and teams are going to say the, the right thing every single time. They're going to come out and say, this sponsor, that, everything's great, we're good, blah, blah, blah. And so when you see somebody sort of go off the cuff and speak from their heart and really speak their mind about something, it's really refreshing to see, especially in this PC culture where maybe a lot, not a lot of people would have done that had you know, gate, you know, somebody who's has aspirations to go to a bigger team, you know, you don't want to annoy some other drivers, you know, certain drivers who are in big rides who might take offense to that, but Gase didn't care and he didn't hold back. And, and for that, Philip, I certainly commend him, but what were your thoughts on, on Gase's comments? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's true what Joey Gase said about certain drivers and I'm, I'm, pretty certain on a couple of people that he was referencing. Uh, 
they drive for a certain uh, big organization uh, with a coach. Um, but you know, in but uh, in 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 a guy who has eighteen home home tracks. Um, but you know, the the thing is with Joey Gase. On the one hand, I get it, and and I for him. What in the end he's always been in this role, whether it was driving for Jimmy Smut means driving some of these other Xfinity and truck deals, and now driving driving the Rentorex um, in in the Cup Series, uh, and, and it's true they don't understand that. Uh, but it was also, and it's the same thing with Garrett Smithley. There's an aspect of actually being aware of your surroundings and using your mirrors and having a spotter that's actually aware of what's going on on the racetrack or whatever. Uh, there's two people. You have a steering wheel, a, a, a gas pedal, and a brake, and a clutch, and all. You have that, too, the same way as they do. You may not have the better – you definitely don't have a better handling car or a better put-together car or whatever. You have good people trying to make a living and do what they have to do. It doesn't hurt to actually use your mirror and actually get the hell out of the way. And, and fundamentally for Joey Gase and Garrett Smithley, they've had issues with that over their career. And it's they've kind of gotten away with it most of the time. There's very few people that really called them out on their driving standards. Um, and I mean, I give him credit for saying that it's, it's fine and, and it's true, but it also comes back to what they are and what they've been over their career. And if you ask me, what has Joey Gase done outside of, I've met him at Bristol one year and he, he was doing an autograph uh, deal and I got an autograph for Joey Gase. Other than that, and he had something for donate to life and, and being in the way, what what has Joey Gase ever done in the Cup Series or in the Xfinity Series? Garrett Smithley, what is the what, he ran well in the Sim Series or whatever last year, and then and and he caused a massive wreck for that cost Chase Briscoe a chance at making the Final Four a couple of years ago, and he he was involved in a wreck with Kyle Busch. He's mm-hmm. never done anything in a in a Cup or an Xfinity car that would make you think that the guy actually has a clue. So in the end, it's fine that that they are not in great equipment, like like Quinn Huff when we went over that whole thing with the stupidity he did at Texas last year. It's fine you're not in the best equipment, but you also have to have awareness and 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 some level of um, contrition in regards to your actions too. Um, I get it that these guys whine all the time and that's part of who they are and media plays it up, but you have, you have a responsibility too when you're on the racetrack. So, I mean, it, it, to me, it's fine. At least he's, he's coming out and you're not going to get anything out of those guys. There's probably going to be some like, you know, uh, slack fighting on, on social media or, or some sort of nonsense. Uh, they'll probably throw some pies at each other, some BS uh-huh. will do on Fox with with Clint Boyer or something, and then and and that's how it'll be dealt with. Well, listen, you're you're absolutely right. There is some responsibility for those guys as well. There, there that shouldn't be um, you know overlooked here, and you know a lot of people do, and and I've probably said this before in the past about certain drivers. I will say this for sure. I probably had this take um, where. Hey, you know, until you until you prove yourself on the racetrack, you really shouldn't be opening your mouth. But I do think that the um, the complaining from the big time drivers about lap cars has gotten to a, especially from certain drivers, has gotten to a a point where it's to a point of ridiculousness, in my opinion. Um, and I think part of it is that you know we used to see guys like Jeff Burton and Bobby Labonte. And uh, the name list goes list goes on and on and on. Who started off in rides that they really had to fight for, fight to run really good in, and now a lot of these kids just jump into winning rides at the age of twenty and don't have any experience in rides where, you know, they have to really work hard to run good, or work hard to even make the races. So I, I certainly get where Gase was coming from today. 
But, you know, just from, from my perspective, Spencer, you know, again, we see very, you know, last year we even brought this up with, with Corey LaJoy when Corey LaJoy and Denny Hamlin kind of had a little bit of, of um, banter on Twitter about stacking pennies and stuff like that, uh, sort of about the same situation. But um, I just find it refreshing that in this era of multi-card teams where everybody's buddies uh, and there's really no rivalries, it's kind of refreshing to see somebody come out and, again, open up and uh, speak their mind and not really be afraid of, of what the consequences are for speaking your mind. It's, it was really f- refreshing to see, in my opinion, Spencer. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have people that disagree with it, and you're going to have people that agree with it. Um, but as far as, you know, you know, I think Phillips said it, you know, as good as you can possibly say it, it's two steering wheels in this in this argument. Um, the good guy in a good car is a steering wheel, the bad guy in a bad car has a steering wheel. Um, now, I feel like, you know, there are times where those slow guys can't get out of the way. And, you know, if you're and, – and I'm fine if if you're running the high lane. Let's take the Garrett Smithley and Kyle Busch deal. Garrett Smithley kept his line. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He stayed in a straight line on the high line. Now, and if I was Garrett Smithley and I saw the, the, the leader, he wanted the top line. He's flying. He's probably running 15 miles an hour faster than me. Um, and I can go down to the bottom of the racetrack, I would go down to the bottom of the racetrack. Garrett Smithley didn't cut him off. Garrett Smithley was committed to that line um, going into the turn. He doesn't know what line Kyle Busch is going to take um, when Kyle Busch is just now passing the finish line and Garrett Smithley's already in turn one. Um, he just doesn't know. So Garrett Smithley kept his line. Kyle Busch needs to go around him, um, and then there's no other way around it. And you know, for Kyle Busch to run into the back of him, in all honesty, I think that's Kyle Busch's fault. Go go around the guy. Um, and so I'm I'm all you know. I can understand if you know you you move up into the top lane for no reason. You know, that's something Clint Humph would do. Um, so I mean, it's you got to have respect for one another on the racetrack. And you know, I feel like you mentioned those those old timer guys back then. You know, money don't money didn't flow around back in the day like it does now. You know, everybody back in the day was hard blue collar workers. You know, look at Dale Earnhardt. You know, all those guys were blue collar people. Now you got these young kids that their daddies are CEOs for these big companies. They got a ton of money, and their their dad goes to the owner of the company, and now they have a sponsor for the race. And you know, that's you know, look at um, mm-hmm. Centric's dad. He's a right. high executive up at Penske. You know. You know, Penske can have a talk with. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's, you know, if your dad was CEO of Walmart and you wanted to be a race car driver, I can guarantee you there's going to be some type of Walmart sticker on your race car and they're going to be funding it. Um, You know, it's just the way it goes. You know, back in the day, there wasn't a lot of, you know, that extra cash flow. Today, there's tons of it. You can go anywhere. Um, So, I mean, it's, you know, there's, there's nothing those guys can do. The car's only going to go so fast. You know, now if you put Joey Gase in a Kyle Busch car, can he win in it? Eh, I don't know. Can he go to the front? Yeah, I don't know. Will he run 30th? Probably not. Um, so the car can only do so much. And, you know, it's not even – this shouldn't even be a conversation where we're comparing a Rick Ware car to a KBM or a Joe Gibbs car. Right. But, I mean, that's just the name of the game. You're going to have a slow car on the racetrack, and – you know, if the slow guy can't get out of the way, you're going to have to go around the guy. There's no, there's no other way around it. I mean, um, what do you, I mean, what do they do at Daytona when a guy's coming out of pit road and he's on the bottom line and those guys are coming out of the trial on the bottom, they slightly go up. So mm-hmm. you're just going to have to go around the guy. That's, you know, Phillips said the best. There's two steering wheels. For sure. And, and I didn't want to muddy the water there as far as, you know, placing blame on one group more than another, because it does take two to tango for sure. But you know, again, I just kind of wanted to – I thought it was very interesting comments and just kind of wanted to discuss it. And something else like that caught my eye this week, and uh, it, it could be tied into what happened a few months ago. I think we touched, touched on it on the show back then when Corey LaJoy said that he had his quote-unquote best opportunity of his career. Now, LaJoy, when you look at that, where he's been in his career, and then you look at what Daniel Suarez said. I think it was yesterday uh, he came out and said that he's in his best opportunity of his career. Um that was kind of a little bit more looking at it going, well, that was a very interesting comment from Suarez because he was been with Joe Gibbs racing and Stuart Haas racing in his career. And then he's now he's at track house. Now 
Um, I, I want to make this clear, and, and I didn't want to, and I want to go to Philip first because I know we kind of, you and I kind of bantered back and forth on it, but I wanted to say this. Uh, I, I don't think Daniel Suarez is a bad race car driver, and I touched on it before the show a little bit. This is going to be his fourth ride in four years. I think that's something that people lose sight about, about a young driver who you want to see some consistency in his career, yet he's in his fourth different ride in four years. And it's not an easy situation by any stretch of the imagination that he's been put, that he's put himself in. And I don't think the struggles that he had at Joe Gibbs and the struggles as far as not making the playoffs, both of the places he was at and the struggles at Stuart Haas are entirely his fault. I don't think they are. Um, But it was surprising to me because he was at really good rides and fully funded rides at, at the 19. And I know they didn't have a ton of funding at the 41, but still a very good race team there. Uh, and Trackhouse is a startup race team with a cars that they're not really building. I think they're buying cars. And uh, so it was just a little bit as far as a little bit eye-raising, I should say. It rose my eyes a little bit as far as best opportunity of his career. But how? what did you think he meant, Philip? Is it possible he sat there and said, listen, it's the best opportunity of my career? And the reason why he said it was because he's looking at this from a long-term standpoint and he can have three or four years at this organization and feel comfortable that he's not going to go anywhere. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on Suarez's comments that raised a little bit of eyebrows around the NASCAR world yesterday? Yeah, I did. we, we definitely talked about it on, on the, on Twitter, Clayton, and we had our sides of it and I get your side. And my side is kind of what you mentioned right there in regards to, I think it's a long-term deal here. I think Justin Marks wants this to be a multi-car organization and he feels like Daniel Suarez is somebody that he can build with. Uh, I think there's a lot of pieces and moving parts in regards to sponsorship. And uh, for him, I think people have, they gave him the, the, the moniker that he was, you know, a money person that because of Carlos Slim and Aris uh, coming in and he was connected to that with the Me- because of being a Mexican that that was the reason why he got a cup ride uh, he did win an Xfinity title you know uh, people kind of like to gloss over that uh, you know there's other guys that won Xfinity titles and that haven't really done a whole heck of a lot uh, over the years either um, I mean, at least Suarez at times has looked like he has a clue and he has the potential. And to me, I, I mean, I think the Stuart Haas deal, he was never going to, it was never going to work because Tony wanted him and Gene never did. Um, of course, Gene made the team from on his own fruition and Tony didn't want it to. So that's, I mean, that's its own separate thing. We probably can get into that in regards to what Stuart Haas is, but um the Gibbs deal, I think he was in an R&D. He was in the R&D car, and um, he was a rookie. And then when you have Kyle Busch and Benny Hamlin, you're at best going to be in the third best equipment. And I think when he was there, Matt Kenseth was there. So, and Matt Kenseth, 40-plus wins or 40 wins and a championship and all these other things. So, I think it's an opportunity for a fresh start. I think it's an opportunity for him to not have some of the pressure that he's had in other years uh, in regards to the money aspect. I think he knows full well that it driving for Justin Marks is not driving for freaking Tony Stewart or driving for Rev Gibbs. But I think it also, he also knows that it might just be about driving now and it might just be about being able to go about business and kind of open up and be more of himself. Cause I think Justin Marks wants him to be, uh, wants Suarez to be who he is and what he's about and be, you know, open, um, be more, more personality and having Dale and having uh freaking Mr. Worldwide as your co-owner probably doesn't hurt in that aspect. Yeah. Listen, um, I think as far as he looks at it, and, and this is sort of, I think, the way he looked at um, the Gaunt Brothers team last year when he took that ride, he looked at it as a long-term vision. And I, I, for Suarez, to his credit, a lot of people I feel like have a trouble 
looking at rides or looking at situations and saying, where am I going to be? You know, I need, I need something that's going to put me in a good situation five years down the road. People are so, especially nowadays, are so focused on the here and now, and I want, to, I want it now. I want to win now. I want to, I want to be great now, 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 now. And, um, you know, what they, what they sacrifice in that is the future. They sacrifice themselves where they sit there and they go, uh, I could have gone to a ride or I could have gone to a situation where, you know, I, I might not be great right now, but five years down the road, 10 years down the road, I'm going to be in a really good situation. So I should just keep my mouth shut, work hard and race hard. And uh, I'll be in a really good situation. I, I feel like a lot of people have trouble doing that in life in general, let alone uh, in NASCAR. But so I think Suarez, and he proved that last year that he can look at a situation and say, I think down the road, uh, this is going to be a good opportunity. I, I really think what hurt his Gaunt Brothers racing team was the pandemic last year. He it kind of really threw the wrench in for that season, and it really hurt that team. I'm not really. I think he was sold a, a false bag of goods there. I don't think they gave him the full uh, engine package there for TRD either because he was awful speed wise at Daytona. And that's got nothing to do with the driver. It was just basically the engine they had in that car. Um, but Spencer, what was your thoughts on on Suarez's comments? I mean, again, it was eye raising because. You looked at his situations from last, you know, his first two years in NASCAR with Gibbs, and then his third year in the sport uh, with Stuart Haas, and you sat there and you said, "Those are pretty good rides." For him to call this his best opportunity um, was very interesting. So, what were your thoughts on that? Um, first, if he's if if he's not if that wasn't his mindset of what, you know, we think it was, and he legit thinks this is his best opportunity over Gibbs and Storhoff, I feel bad for the guy. But I, there's just, I, there's no way Suarez is sitting down saying that, thinking that Trackhouse is better than Storhoff and Joe Gibbs. There's just no way in heck that he's actually thinking that. Um, I mean, who knows what this team can do? You know, Justin Marks, he's a great business guy. Um, a lot of people, you know, he owned half of, you know, it was Larson Marks Racing. Um, he owned half of, you know, Kyle Larson's dirt team. And then Kyle bought him out. Um, a lot of people don't know Justin Marks is half owner of GoPro Motorplex with Michael McDowell, um, where a lot of drivers go and run go-karts. So he's a great business guy. Um, I think Justin Marks is going to be um, a great owner for the sport. Um, you know, he, he's, he's also ran, he's ran in the Daytona 500. He's, uh, ran for, um, Ganassi in the Xfinity series. I believe he might've won a race at one of the road. Yeah, he did. I can't remember. He did. Um, yep. yeah. So he, um, you know, we talked to, um, Matt Tiff does being an owner, help a race team. And, um, and he kind of thought it did a little bit. And uh, of course it does, you know, what the car needs, um, to run good. So, you know, they got sponsors coming over. They got four sponsors, um, Pump It Up. They got iFly. They got Comscope. And I can't remember the other one that they picked up. But um, so who knows? You know, Suarez, uh, you know, I don't think Suarez is a bad driver. Obviously, he, he he's won the Xfinity title, as Philip mentioned. And a lot of people forget that. Sometimes if I don't think mm -hmm. about it, I forget it. Um, so who knows? You know, this team isn't just going to come out and win races. You know, nothing happens like that. Um, you know, Clayton, when you started this show, you didn't have your, th you know, over a thousand followers in the first day, you know, stuff has to grow and build and, you know, you just have to come together. And, um, so, you know, same with any startup team, you know, your second year is obviously going to be better than your first year. Cause you're going to go back. You're going to have all the track notes. You're going to, um, man, we had that set up in that car at Dover, man. We really ran well. Um, we went out, we, we ran top 15 all day, had a solid day and they can, go back to next year and look on that. Um, you know, I don't see them winning races this year. You know, I don't see – they might not win races their second year, but they're going to be better their second year than their first year. So – and then, you know, Pitbull is now part owner of that team. So, you know, he's not no sloucher on money. He's got a lot of money. Um, so, you know, they're going to have more money over there with Pitbull um, coming on board with Justin Marks. And, you know, I like the way they're doing it. Um, you know, it, they, the, the, the name's cool. It's different. It's not like Mark's racing. It's, you know, track house racing. So, um, we just kind of have to wait and see, uh, you know, I think like you said, Schwarz was looking at this as a, a good opportunity 
But honestly, why wasn't Storhaus a good opportunity? Why wasn't Joe Gibbs a good opportunity? You know, those cars were made for him to go out and win. And all honestly, he was probably getting bottom of the barrel at uh, both teams. Let's face it. I mean, at both teams he was at, you had three guys that were on top of him, um, you know, with better equipment, you know, guys that were going out and winning races. And, you know, him being in those rides, he really didn't show me anything. So um, I think he needs to – you know, it's going to be hard to show what he has now in a car. You know, we don't know how this team's going to run. You know, mm-hmm. if they go out and run 25th, why is that going to surprise Joe Schmo that's looking to open up another team, why he should hire Daniel Suarez? So, um, but, you know, Corey's got the where he's at from that. He gets the most out of the, you know, equipment. So, um, I mean, for instance, Ross, look what he's at. He's racing JD, and he worked up to where he's at now and he's gotten the most out of the equipment. Schwarz did not get the most out of that equipment at Joe Gibbs or Storhaus. So well, and that's, um, he's going to have to – it's going to be his year. You know, he's going to have to really show that he can go out there. And, you know, I don't think anybody in this garage is saying Trackhouse is a winning team. But if he goes out and right. he's running top 20 and he's, he's you know, he's, he's running solid for what they got, then it can open some eyes. But when you're running like you were at Storhaus and Joe Gibbs, you ain't opening nobody's eyes. And you touched on a good point there, and, and that's something I think a lot of people had a problem with what his comments were, was there's been a lot of drivers in this sport who have had talent and hadn't gotten the opportunity Suarez has gotten as far as two years at Stuart, at Joe Gibbs and a year at Stuart Haas. There's been a lot of drivers who just haven't never gotten that opportunity for one reason or another. So it was almost like, yeah, you know, I can understand it wasn't an ideal situation for you, but it's still they were still very good rides. So um, listen, I, I root for the kid. I, I think he's, he means well. I think he's got a good personality. Um, and, uh, I hope, I hope this track house team, like you said, Spencer, um, you know, Mark seems like a guy who's really got a good head on his shoulders. I hope that this team runs really well. Um, and, and we'll see, I don't know if it's going to happen in 2021. I think once this new car comes in 2022, that'll level playing field a little bit for these teams and that are a little bit, um, not as, as, as big as the, as the, monstrosity race teams that we have in NASCAR, but uh, I, I think they'll, they'll certainly get their feet on the ground and, and have a decent year this year in 2021. Uh, the Bush class guys is Tuesday and we won't be on the air uh, before that. So we're going to do a little bit of preview to the Bush class. I know it's a little early and we haven't really changed our minds. I think once people uh, Super Bowl parties over, everybody's mind's going to change towards Daytona and towards NASCAR. But, um, you know, we still have the Super Bowl be played. We still don't know who's going to win, obviously. But let's look ahead towards the the Bush Class because it is Tuesday, uh, so it's a little bit different. Obviously, we we've seen it um, on on the Oval over the last since 1979 since it was created. It's going to be on the road course this year, which changes the game up a little bit. Um, really, I, I just kind of want to get you guys' take on what you expect to see, who you expect to run really good. Obviously, Chase Elliott comes to mind as a favorite in this race because it's a road course and uh, that nine teams really had a lot of things figured out on the road courses over the last uh, three or four years. But uh, I'll start with you, Spencer, since, you know, this is a, uh, a racetrack you're familiar with, with going there a lot, as far as the road course is concerned. Um, what do you think we're going to see? What are you most interested in seeing for this Bush clash on Tuesday? Well, I mean, I mean, we pretty much know the road course guys, Truex, um, you know, Bush, he was there for the last road course race and has his little incident. And then Chase Elliott, I mean, that car was flying. I mean, I was in the stands, um, the road course race, you know, that we saw last year and that car was just phenomenal. I mean, it was flying. I would watch him dive into the road course part and he was just able, I mean, you could just tell his speed was so much quicker than anybody else into that turn. And, um, another guy to watch out is, you know, Austin Dillon. You know, he just had a lot of track time in the LMP2 class and the Rolex 24. And the team did pretty well. Tenth overall, fourth in the class. I don't think we were expecting that out of Eurasia. Eurasia, however you say it, Rick Ware Racing um, entry there. Um, so he just got a lot of laps around that road course that we were about to run. The only thing different is we're going to have a chicane on the front stretch. That did not. But as far as the whole road course part, he just got a lot of laps. Um, Chase Elliott just got laps. Um and not to mention, they're going to run the, uh, you know, they're going to, they ran that, they're going to run the clash. So that's even going to help them for the, 
second week of the year. So, um, so those are the guys you're gonna have to look out on. The guys that are, you know, that's fresh. You know, it just happened last mm-hmm. weekend. So, um, you know, they they're gonna have a they're they're one step ahead of everybody for you know track time. You know, it's a totally different car, drives different. Those cars you can break so late into the corner. The turning's unreal. This is a stock car, but the memory of the racetrack is still in your head, you know, about the breaking points. And so, I mean, you never know. That could help Dylan. So, But I think this uh, the 19 and 9 are the guys to watch. Yeah, uh, certainly guys that, that when you look at the road courses have been very, very good over the last couple of years. Philip, something interesting I think a lot of people talked about with this road course race is that we're going to have a, a points race there in a couple of weeks. And, you know, there was some banter on Twitter I had with somebody a few weeks ago when it was announced that they were going to go to a points race there uh, for the second race of the year, that he was afraid that a lot of people wouldn't take this clash too seriously, that, you know, it's a race for the fans. There's not a ton of money out there, although it's pretty good. Um, and a lot of people would be, a lot of teams would be using this as a test session for the points race, uh, you know, in a couple of weeks and they wouldn't take it seriously and they might not run as hard and they might do some things that um, with, with thoughts of a couple of weeks in their minds and try and get as many points as they possibly can. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's possible? You're going to see a lot of teams go out there and test or, and do you think it'll affect the show at all? Or do you think it's not really a big deal? And, and who do you think is going to be strong? And what do you think we're going to see there on, uh, on Tuesday? I think as it, the testing aspect of it is there is validity to that and trying to make sure that you have a functional race car uh, when you consider what kind of goes on on the oval and what we're probably going to see starting Friday night and going on uh, where you're probably going to bring half of that equipment back home in a in a cardboard box. Uh, they, these cars, a lot of these teams are probably going to want to keep them, uh, pretty, uh, pretty clean so that they can bring them back the following week to run that race. So on the one hand, I don't think there's really going to be a whole lot going on in that first segment. I think once you get to the second segment, uh, where they're going to, determine the winner uh that you'll probably see a little more aggressiveness likely going to have uh more cautions um it's gonna be i mean it's a 15 lap first segment i don't think there's gonna be a whole lot going on there 20 lap second segment uh it's i don't know in terms of cautions or they're counting laps or any of that i it I mean, if they don't, if they do count laps, and will probably end quicker. But if they don't count laps, it might go on all night. Um, in terms of who's going to contend, uh, Spencer mentioned it. You know, William Clyde Elliott the uh, second has become the new road course king. Um, MTJ with his new uh, spotter. Thankfully, you don't have to hear Clayton Hughes anymore. Um, that's great for the world. Um, other than that, I, I, I'd be interested in some of the guys that didn't have great, uh, road course performance, like the Kevin Harvick's of the world. You think about how close he was after a nine win season, his road course performance in general was pretty awful for a guy that has been really good on road courses at times in his career. Um, of course, Hamlin and Kyle Busch will, with Kyle Busch with a new crew chief, first race with a new crew chief, Hamlin uh, falling short again for a championship, and also owning one of the cars in the field, which has got to be interesting and different deal there for him. Um, I mean, we'll see who else is there uh, could stand out. The, uh, the Hendrick Motorsports uh, guys like Alex Bowman, uh, somebody I would also kind of take as kind of a dark horse pick because he always seems to figure out a way to be in that top five there at the end of the race. Uh, but I do believe there's going to be a lot more um, 
eyes in regards to keeping these cars clean and not trying to go and destroy the stuff because they're going to do plenty of that during uh, the 500 uh, in a few days okay. after that. Uh, as you mentioned, Philip, 35 laps, there's a 15-lap segment one, a 20-lap segment two. 21 drivers are eligible for this race. 21 drivers are going to race, I should say. There was 24 eligible, three of uh, uh, due to retirement, aren't going to race, and that's Matt Kenseth, Clint Boyer, and Jimmy Johnson. Obviously couldn't find a ride for Speed Weeks. Boyer's going to be in the booth. Uh, Matt's just not going to race, and Jimmy's doing IndyCar. So um, we're not going to see any of those guys. But the 21 drivers who are eligible, Eric Amarola, Ryan Blaney, uh, Alex Bowman, Chris Busher, Kurt Busch, Kyle Busch, William Byron, Cole Custer, Matt Benedetto, Austin Dillon, Ty Dillon, Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Eric Jones, Brad Kozlowski, uh, Joey Logano, Ryan Newman, Tyler Reddick, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and Martin Trix Jr. So I want to keep an eye on guys for this race. And, and uh, you know, really, aside from uh, uh, Ty Dillon, you know, when you look at last year and, and this year, uh, as far as the clash is concerned, there's really not too many changes um, as far as drivers are concerned. Sure, Ty Dillon, we know we talked about that earlier, but the only other driver really in a, a different ride from last year that's eligible for this clash is Eric Jones, who's going to be in a 43, which is going to be interesting to see how he can uh, keep an eye on, uh, how he can run in that, in that car. Um, so I'm interested to see that as well. Um, and, and, you know, just to get the cars on the track and get them racing again and, and see how they all look. Uh, it's going to be really, really cool. So um, hopefully it's a good show. I'm a little nervous about it. I'm not going to lie because of the fact that it is a test session. And I, I feel like road course races at times get a, can get to a point where if it's not a long run, um, they can get strung out a little bit. So a little worried about the bush clash, but uh, hopefully it all, it all goes off uh, pretty interestingly without a hitch. Uh, also, guys, we'll come on next week. The plan right now, and it, this could change. Hopefully, it doesn't. But um, you know, for me personally, um, there's still some debate about whether or not we're going to go to Speed Weeks or not, or be down there for part of it. We're not really sure yet. Uh, but anyway, um, Wednesday night, we're hoping to come on after qualifying Wednesday night, break down uh, Wednesday night what we saw for qualifying. So uh, I just kind of want to give a quick run through and give you guys thoughts on who you think is going to be fast for qualifying. Uh, and maybe give a couple of predictions as far as who the open teams are that are going to qualify their way in. Um, but, you know, right now, as far as entries are concerned, there are 44 entries for the Daytona 500. So 36 charter teams locked in and then eight open teams for four spots. Now, right now, that means four teams are going home. Now, there's always a potential that before this entry list is officially released um, that we see another team or two come down. There's talk that the 44 car will come down. Uh, that's the NY racing team, but we haven't heard anything from them in a couple of weeks. So we'll see. There was rumor Tommy Baldwin was going to come down as well. That has not materialized. That will not materialize. He will not be down for the Daytona 500. So right now we have 44 cars that are, that are down as far as qualifying is concerned. And really when, when, you, when I think about Daytona 500 qualifying, what I think about is uh, Hendrick Motorsports and Chevrolet. They've completely dominated the, this qualifying session over the last decade or so. Uh, Stenhouse took the poll last year. Yeah, I know that, but he was in a Hendrick engine when he did that. Uh, and before that, you know, it was pretty much a Hendrick, uh, you know, everything Hendrick you could possibly uh, do. You know, Jeff Gordon was on it. Uh, Alex Bowman, Chase Elliott's been on it twice. Uh, Danica Patrick took one in a, in a Hendrick engine car. So there's been a lot of different scenarios as far as Hendrick is concerned. Uh, do you think we're going to see that again? I'll, I'll go to Spencer, then we'll go to Philip. You think we're going to see that again, Spencer, as far as Hendrick's going to be really, really strong in qualifying? Uh, and who do you think is going to lock themselves in? As the open teams, let me just give that rundown of the open teams really quick. Sorry, guys. I know I'm kind of long winded here, but uh, Ty Dillon in the 96, Timmy Hill in the 66, Noah Gregson in the 62, uh, Ryan Priest in the 37, David Reagan in the 36, Austin Sindrick in the 33, and the 13 car of NBM Motorsports, which has been announced as Chad Fincham, although that could change too. But right now it's Chad Fincham in the NBM Motorsports second car, number 13. They've changed that number to that car. Uh, so of the open teams, who do you think is going to be in, and what do you think we're going to see as far as qualifying is concerned for the Daytona 500? Yeah, for the qualifying, I mean, you mentioned Hendrick's been so dominant all those years, and I don't see why all of a sudden come 2020 they're just not going to be on the front row. You know, even, you know, with 
you know, Stenhouse being on it and he's not out of the shop, he still had a Hendrick engine and Alex Bowman sat right on the outside of him. So, uh, as far as being the pole guy, I would have to pick a Hendrick car and I don't even want to pick one really. I mean, they're going to be so fast. I mean, the way these poles have worked, it's been kind of iconic, you know, first year at Hendrick chase sits on it. Uh, first year that, uh, Bowman is in the 88, he sits on the pole. So why not, let's say the five car first year of, um, the five coming back with Kyle Larson after not racing for a whole year, let's say he sits on the pole. And as far as, you know, the cars that are going to lock themselves in, uh, I would probably have to go with Austin Cendrick just because who he's with. Um, uh, and probably the 16 of colleague, uh, okay. just because, you know, they're going to bring good speed. So, um, I'd like to say Reagan, but only two is going to do it. So those two on speed, the 33 and the 16. Uh, and I meant failed, failed to mention them. So thank you for bringing them up, Spencer. I was just going to say that I, I failed to mention a colleague team, which is going to be a really good entry for them. Uh, that is, uh, the, 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 the number 16 car, of course, uh, driving for them this year in that 16 is Kaz Gralla, who uh, is a good young driver. Um, but yeah, it, listen, it's wide open qualifying. Uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you my thoughts in a little bit, but I just want to go back to the Chevrolet and Hendrick. Since 2008, Chevrolet has been on the pole every year except for one. Um, and, you know, it was uh, Truex, which was an ECR engine in 09, and uh, Dylan in 2014 an ECR engine, but other than that, it's been all Hendrick engines aside from three years over the last uh, 12 years. So Hendrick's pretty much got this, got this wrapped up now, not wrapped up, but they pretty much have a, have a good idea about qualifying. Now, a lot of teams don't really focus on qualifying, um, but Philip, I, I personally think you could see a team, an open team, a guy like Ryan priest, who's got a Hendrick engine, by the way, who what Phil Spencer didn't mention, but his teammate took the pole there last year. Uh, he's got a Hendrick engine there. He could be a guy to go out there and take the pole. And, and open, I think you're going to see an open team either – I'll make this prediction. I think you're going to see an open team on the front row, whether it's first or second, because I think they're going to be – the only thing they're going to focus on is qualifying because that's how important it's going to be. But what do you think we're going to see for Daytona 500 qualifying, Philip? And give us your predictions as far as who the two guys are going to be that time their way in. I've been saying this for a while now, and I'm sure this will make – uh, Spencer happy. I, I, I figure Kyle Larson's going to win the poll on Wednesday as long as yeah, they're able is. to run run the run the qualifying. It seems like there's a little bit of inclement weather going on for a few days, uh, based on what I see on Jayski. Uh, I, I figure that's going to happen. Um, in terms of what you said, Clayton, in regards to an open team being on the front row, I kind of think that that. That's a possible, strong possibility. Um, Priest, um, with my Northeast bias, it would be something to um, see that. I, I, I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna go with Gumby. I'm gonna go with Sindrick, going and pulling that out of his butt in his uh, Cup debut, a lot like uh, Tony Stewart did uh, back in 1999, um, goes and, and randomly puts the, uh, Penske Ford on the front row. But I do believe, I think the two open cars that will lock into the show are the same ones that Spencer said. I think the 33 and the 16 are the two best open cars. I mean, granted Priest had a full year, JTG Doherty won the poll last year, all these different things. But Priest is better. He's a better racer, uh, in, in, at least in the, in the bigger cars, than he is a qualifier. Who knows what they're going to do? It's entirely possible Priest goes and, and, and spoils the Kyle Larson party and, and, and wins this poll on Wednesday. Uh, but uh, we will see. I, it's it's a little different. They'll be running in at night, and um, might be a little better speeds, a little bit more uh, entertainment in regards to single car qualifying. We don't get to have that all that often anymore. Um, yeah. And now, of course, in COVID time, we haven't had that. So um, we will see for sure. But 
um, curious uh, because it'll set the the field for Thursday night's uh, uh, dual 150s. Yeah, and something to keep in mind, and we'll touch on this a lot more um, on Wednesday night's show after qualifying, but something to keep in mind as far as qualifying is concerned. Remember, the first two spot drivers, open teams, two, two quickest open teams, lock themselves into the Daytona 500. So that's very, very important. But those drivers, whoever it is, those two drivers have an opportunity in their duel to race their way in. So if one of those two do that, it would fall to the next driver in qualifying. So the guy who's third and the driver who's fourth still have an opportunity to to qualify their way in on their speed. So keep that in mind as, as, and again, we'll we'll discuss that, but third and fourth positions are very, very valuable as well. So don't think if if they're not in the top two, they have no chance at it. They still do because of, of what happens, depending on what happens on Thursday. But I do think, you know, when you look at this field, I think the clear favorite as far as speed is concerned, Austin Sindrick, uh, Team Penske, we know they're re- really, really fast. Um, but I, I think a, a sleeper that a lot of people aren't mentioning to keep an eye on is Noah Gregson. Uh, and, again, um, that is a Chevrolet team. That's a, a RCR engine, ECR engine. But they have sort of combined their engine program with Hendrick this year. So uh, keep an eye on, Austin, on Noah Gregson as well. He could be very, very fast in qualifying. And David Reagan, of course, that's a, a, a Roush Yates engine, so don't be surprised if you see a good speed out of him. Although, they front row, I'll say this, and, and maybe it's because they've been focused on qualifying. They haven't really turned quick laps in single-car runs over the last, um, you know, uh, five or six years that David's been there. So, um, keep that in mind as well. But, uh, guys, great show tonight. And, uh, you know, if you want to hear on Talking Circles, we're going to have a, a lot of content here for you. As far as speed weeks are concerned, I might go out and give a piece, uh, you know, singularly by myself, uh, a, a five or ten minute piece here as Speed Weeks rolls along as something comes to mind to discuss. Uh, and we're going to be doing a lot of content, a Wednesday night show, and we'll do a preview show before the Daytona 500. Right now that is the plan um, on Sunday before the Daytona 500. So um, we'll, we'll give you a little bit more details as we iron things out in our own personal plans um, moving forward here on Talking Circles. But I want to thank everybody for listening tonight. If you like what you heard, like us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. We post a lot of stuff there. We get into a lot of conversation. We love talking to race fans, so uh, be sure to do that. And we'll see you next time we see you guys. Next time we're on this air, we will know who the pole sitter and the outside pole sitter is for the Daytona 500. We'll know who won the, won the clash. It's going to be a lot of fun. We can't wait for it. Uh, Speed Weeks 2021 is right around the corner. We'll see you then, guys. Have a good night.